Hi, I'm Matt Janssen, and you're listening to the BRFCS podcast. York Rovers would like to welcome you to the BRFCS.com podcast, covering the 2019-2020 Blackburn Rovers Championship campaign, hosted by Ian Herbert and joined by some very special guests. Don't forget to check out the forum here at BRFCS.com to continue the discussion. Hi, Linz. Uh, I've had to ring you. I've got an idea. Go on, but you're going to have to be quick because I'm halfway through listening to the BRFCS podcast. Picture this. The Riverside Stand, the big redevelopment. Okay. Okay, bear with me. We're going to take out all the seats. I've got it. Safe standing. Oh, no, 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 no. It's better than that. We replaced the whole lot with sunbeds. What? You bet. I've actually just got a Rover's Beach towel from the Terrace Store, and it's absolutely fantastic. High quality, retro Rover's design. Mine's based on the 1995 Awaken. I like the sound of that. You could be onto something. Where did you get it from again? I got it from the terrorstore.com. All the podcast listeners get an exclusive discount by entering the discount code BRFCS at the checkout. Hello and welcome back to the BRFCS podcast. We've got a number of contributors to this episode. Thanks to everyone for sending in pieces. It really is appreciated. We've got Bill Arthur from Canada telling us about a Christmas 50 years ago. We've got a first-time contributor in Mark who tells us about one of his earliest and one of his most favourite Rovers memories. We've got Scott from 4000 Holes reviewing the calendar year of 2019. And we have a wonderful travel log from Michael Taylor, the Marple Leaf himself, who talks about several away trips that he's taken already in 2019, including a memorable one in Glasgow. Be sure to listen right to the end for that. But first, ever wondered what it's like to try and keep up to date with rovers over the festive period whilst you're working in Basra in Iraq? Well, let Brian tell you all about it. The festive season is here and you know what that means. Too much food and drink, novelty socks, spending time with friends and family and most importantly, it's the festive football. While most of us will have tickets for the big Boxing Day matches or be braced to sit in front of Sky Sports and make generic noises to seem that we are still interested in the family, there are some that have no alternative but to watch from afar. We thought it would be interesting to take a look at what it's like for this often forgotten about group of fans over the festive period. 
Sadly, this year I am one of these fans that will be forced to follow my beloved from a distance due to working in Basra, Iraq. Following rovers from a distance is not a new experience for me, as I have been working rotations abroad now for six years. That said, the festive season is something I really miss. I have many good memories of setting off from Middlesbrough on Boxing Day to get to Ewood Park. There is just something extra special about this fixture that made the journey enjoyable. I always really look forward to the Boxing Day match especially, although that might be because historically Rovers are quite good. You would think that with all the technology available to us today, that watching the match from another country is as simple as finding a stream online, but it is not always that easy. While I am sure the likes of the Rovers fan club in New York will gather in their bar to watch the match using whatever methods they use and have a great day, or at least I hope so, for the likes of myself this year it's not going to be quite that straightforward. In fact, following the match for me is probably going to be quite hard work. Where I am based currently, the internet runs at a maximum of 550 kilobytes per second, and clearly not good enough to get any sort of reasonable stream of the game. So how am I going to follow the game? I am of course pretending that you are all the care and share and type when I ask that. Well on Boxing Day you will find me trying to hide in the office, glued to Twitter on my phone, trying to piece together what is going on through fellow fans tweets and obviously the Rovers feed as well as a few others. Sounds really enjoyable I know, but desperate times call for desperate measures. Generally speaking, I am able to download highlights of the game, but only the following day, and that's if I'm lucky. But it's just not the same. As you can imagine, being 3,000 miles away from family for Christmas, followed by the torture of trying to figure out how rovers are actually doing and having nobody to share the experience with, is in no way a fun time for me. And the little pieces of information I can get from my Twitter feed mean the world to me as it means I have a small piece of normality. So if I follow you and you tweet during the games, then I owe you a big thank you. It's not all doom and gloom though, as I will be celebrating the result hopefully with a cold beer on the night. I hope that you all have a wonderful Christmas and wish you all the best for the new year. I was just thinking about all the matches at Christmas over the years that I've witnessed. Some memorable ones, December 63, winning 8-2 at West Ham and then losing two days later at Ewood 3-1. Boxing Day 77, that famous day at Burnley when we beat them 3-2 and when nobody knew who Keith Fear was. Or even December 94 in the Premier League winning season when Graham Lasseau chipped a sublime chip over the over the Manchester City wall and into the net. All great memories, but the one I'm going to tell you about is actually 50 years ago. It's the 27th of December, 1969, and I'm probably the only person, well, one of two people who remembers it. I was living in the South at the time and was going home for Christmas, and I was taking my prospective future wife home with me. She'd never been to a match before, but of course, 27th of December, day after Boxing Day, Rovers were at home to Portsmouth. So I said, you want to come with me and my dad? Of course, she said. She'd never been to a match before. Anyway, dad decided he couldn't have his prospective daughter-in-law standing on the terraces of the Blackburn End. 
this soft southern girl with all these uncouth loutish Lancastrians. So Dad forked out for tickets in the Nuttall Street stand. I hadn't prepped Louisa very well about the uh, about the game or about Rovers. Uh, on reflection, I should have done a lot better. Anyway, we were a little bit late getting into the stands, got our seats in the Nuttall Street stand, and as I say, we were a little bit late, and no sooner had we settled down than Portsmouth scored. Uh, who scored, she said. As I say, I hadn't prepped it very well. Portsmouth have, she said. I said. Uh, I think she laughed. Anyway, we went on to lose that game 3-0, and 50 years later, she's never been back to Ewood for another match although she's lived her Blackburn life through me. Grandad, Grandad, I've got a fantastic idea. Huh, Mr Morbury going to be signing a player who can take a corner, is he? No, not at all. It's a super offer for all the B-Burn boys and girls out there. If you go to this terrorstore.com, you can get loads and loads of B-Burn mugs, white and blue, you could even get, you know, Benno or Daki and Liv. You can customise them however you want, as long as you use BRFCS at the checkout. Huh. So, once again, Stuart Metcalf cruelly overlooked. Who? I think that 2019 has been a wonderful year for Rovers, which has been cunningly set up to expose the fickleness of us supporters, mock our opinions and prove how little we can predict. The year started with four successive wins in January, earning Tony Mowbray the Manager of the Month award, but this was swiftly followed up by four successive defeats in February, and then in April recorded another four successive wins. Moving into this season, a mixed start turned into six matches without a win in October, and then suddenly those four successive wins appeared again in November to December, and ultimately an eight-match unbeaten run. During each of these very well-defined positive and negative runs, opinion has turned like the tides, from one month giving massive praise to the manager and having renewed confidence in his ability to take us forward, to suddenly saying that he's completely lost the plot and all his decisions must be questioned. It's ridiculous to judge any manager on just a four-match winning or losing run. A longer period of, say, 12 months is more appropriate. And depending on the Huddersfield result, we're going to end the year with 65 to 68 points from 46 matches. A performance which normally puts a team in about 9th place in the championship in a season. Considering that just last year in 2018, we were drawing matches to the likes of Oldham and Northampton at home. I think that represents huge progress, a great year and further gratitude is due to Mowbray. Of course, it can't stop there though. Looking forward to 2020, we need to keep improving and Mowbray himself needs to adapt and improve. The criticisms of the manager are quite well defined in terms of playing players out of position, too much loyalty to some and not being proactive enough with substitutions. The respect he has earned, however, should afford him patience from fans, especially in those periods when we aren't winning four matches in a row and even more so now that he's had some terrible luck in both losing both Greg Cunningham and Bradley Dack to long-term injuries. That's football though, and he'll get judged on how he reacts in the January transfer window and the subsequent results over the next 6-12 to 12 matches. Oh, correction, let's judge him over the next 6-12 to 12 months.
Hi everyone, my name is Mark and I post as Mark BRFC on BRFCS. First and favourite memories. So, my granddad was a huge Rovers fan, pretty much all his life. He's one of the few that went to the 1960 FA Cup final, which we all know there was a big fiasco with tickets over that. And he brought my mum, who was also a huge Rovers fan. She was a bit of a tomboy growing up, and she went on Ewood all through the 70s and the early 80s, up to giving birth to me. She always tells me that a friend used to joke that she would actually give birth to me on the Nuttall Street stand, which would have been a great sight, I'm sure. Due to a marriage breakup when I was a baby, uh, my mum relocated us to Cheshire, where my grandparents had moved probably four or five years previous. She had a few years going off Ewood when I was born, and she started up again around 1988, taking me on infrequent visits as a very uninterested five or six year old. She tells me my first game was a home game against Oldham at the start of the 88 89 season, followed by an away game against Stoke shortly afterwards, as that was only a 15 minute train journey for us. I literally have no memory of either game or the other games we attended during that and the following season. I was more interested in running around at the front of the stand and playing with other children. My first real interest in football was during Italia 90. Something seemed to click back then as a seven-year-old. I was hooked and watched every little bit of the tournament I could on TV. From then I started using all my spare time just kicking the ball around in our back garden and I started to take an interest in club football the following season. I wasn't particularly bothered about Rovers as they were 60 miles away and you got very little coverage of clubs like that back then. My mum took me to a few more games in, early on in the 1991 season. I think I paid a bit more attention to the games back then, but I still wasn't really that bothered. I was actually a bit more interested in Liverpool, as I think everyone supported them in my school at the time. Does the odd Man United and the Stoke fan knocking about too. Everything seemed to change for me in January 1991, just after Christmas. My mum got us tickets for the Rovers-Liverpool FA Cup tie. So with the character of watching Liverpool and being the envy of all my school friends, I was itching to go. And this is where my first real memory of Rovers comes in. I had my old little Rovers Perspex shirt on, despite only really being excited to see Liverpool. I'll say that probably changed within five minutes of getting into Ewood. I couldn't believe how full it was, and the atmosphere was absolutely rocking. Simon Garner scored and the place erupted, and I'd never heard anything like it. It was so much louder than my other visits to Ewood, or it seemed to be anyway. From then I was genuinely hooked. And I think I actually cried when Mark Atkins scored that last minute own goal. Despite my tears though, my mum and my granddad were absolutely beaming. And they knew they had finally achieved the goal of making me a fully fed Rovers fan. From then on, I've been an absolute Rovers fanatic. As a child, I constantly asked my mum when the next match would go was. And from then, my mum took me to every home game that she could. Which for a single parent who didn't drive was some dedication. Because the trains weren't very frequent to where we live, we used to leave on the 9 o'clock train and we probably wouldn't go until around 8 o'clock most games. We got season tickets after approaching in 1992, and with the exception of the coil season, I've had them ever since. Other great memories growing up are going down to Plymouth with my mum and granddad for the weekend on Bostock's coaches for the game in 1992, get the train to Wembley for the playoff final in the same year, and going to Oldham in 1993-94. That was with my granddad, which turned out to be his last ever away game. I remember moaning at him the whole way from the Mammoth Walk, from the old Oldham Mump Station to the ground and back again afterwards. But I think we won the game, so it did make it a bit easier on the way back. My favourite memory though, which will probably be the favourite memory for most people my age, would be Anfield in 1995. We didn't get tickets for it, which we were gutted about of course. But a couple of mum's friends were Liverpool season ticket holders. 
and knowing my mum's a lifelong Rovers fan and a single parent, they very kindly gave us their season tickets for the day so we could attend the game. I had no idea of this until the morning of the game where my mum surprised me with them in a little envelope. So never mind my favourite Rovers memory, I think it's probably my favourite memory of my entire childhood. My mum's friends even drove to the game and went to watch it in a local boozer. It's an incredible gesture that I've never forgotten and one I'd like to think I would repay someone if there was ever a similar situation. I've said before how much I cherish our trips to the football with two of my lads. It's a great way of seeing the world. And this season, we've seen Glasgow, London and Stoke. The rock on which all of this is built is partly our own bond, our family. But it's also the underlying foundation of football culture in our country, something we all share. Sometimes, as I've said before, it can be toxic and repellent. But for the most part, we need to remind ourselves that it's a collective pursuit of a common good, and something unifying in a time of division. After all, all living is meeting and having a really good laugh along the way. But I'm often reminded on a football-related trip to a city that I barely touch the surface, and those that I do touch can tend to be a bit sticky. And so it was that we headed for our first pre-season friendly of the 2019-20 season to see Rovers play Rangers at Ibrox Stadium. Let's face it, we won't play in a better stadium all season, nor will we have the experiences of a city quite like Glasgow. I like Glasgow. I've been up there for work a few times and I was best man at a wedding 21 years ago. And it's all full of happy memories for me. The grand and imposing industrial centre and the embrace of the Clyde is redolent of Newcastle. And the people there, away from football at least, have an easy charm. So the experience of taking the miniature subway train to Ibrox, strolling around the ground before the game and unfurling our flag outside the Loudon Tavern certainly wasn't the same kind of experience you'd have if Rangers were playing, for example, Aberdeen, Hibs or, dare I say it, Celtic. Then again, much as it fed the occasion to be amongst the 1,690 travelling Rovers fans, most of whom seem to have been on our four-carriage Transpennine Express train that morning, the game itself really wasn't much more than a glorified training session. Rangers were the much the better team in the first half, where Defoe showed some class in how he put his goal away, and all my frustrations with several of our regulars picked up where they left off the season before. Happily, too, so did my ever so slightly irrational love of Lewis Travis. But we couldn't not go to this game. We also couldn't not go into the heart of darkness that is the Loudon Tavern for a quick drink after the game. It was everything I suspected and worse. I hadn't realised that the scene in Danny Boyle's Train Spotting 2, where his junkie Edinburgh heroes raid a Glasgow Rangers club and steal from the wallets of the locals, with hilarious consequences, was actually a documentary. But we were greeted as friends and comrades, barely a secret handshake away from joining in the loud renditions of battle songs. And when the early chimes of matched up men piped up, I thought it was a nice touch to embrace their Lancashire visitors. Ah, no. Old tune, different lyrics, and by the time that that was over, there were no more Catholics left. Except this one. That said, 
To keep things consistent, before our long and delayed journey home, inevitably, we squeezed in another personal Glasgow tradition, a curry. Up next was Fulham away, and I do love a London trip. There isn't always the time to indulge in a little bit of culture, and we didn't stop over at the Design Museum in Kensington to look at the Stanley Kubrick exhibition. We're not that arty, but Fulham away is so very different. I sat next to a woman in the stand, the mixed stand I think they call it, the neutral section, sat next to a woman eating a pie with chopsticks. I chatted football to some Fulham geezers on the way through the park. We went to a nice pub beforehand and bought burgers in Bishop's Park in brioche buns. Now call me a middle class fop, but give me this any day over the angry boorish snarling and bullying of so-called real fans. Now, I used to live off the New Kings Road in Fulham in the 90s, and it was a real treat to discover that the neighbourhood has still got the best kebab shop ever, Kebab Kid. Sadly, our local pub, the Jolly Brewer, a frequent haunt of Robin Nedwell, the doctor in the house, and Dennis Waterman, is now flats, while our old house is being rebuilt and is probably worth the upside of a million and a half quid. As for the match, it was a decent first half from Rovers, but a failure to punish Fulham in that period of dominance really cost us. I felt in the second half that we lacked a plan, and why was Lewis Travis subbed off by Mowbray? More recently... We had a great fun day out in the sponsors' lounge at Stoke with a mate and his business colleagues. I was able to teach my sons the life skill of celebrating a goal in the home end without drawing attention to yourselves or getting a slap. I've long suspected that the rather random choices of the Peter Jackson the jeweller man of the match at Ewood is the decision of bevied up corporate guests. And so it was to prove at Stoke. Our home supporting hosts didn't even come out for the second half, so fed up were they with their own team. So they asked us to do the duties. The lads were awkwardly gifted the task to present the man of the match and also to choose it. And unfortunately, it couldn't be a Rovers player, so we didn't get to meet either Lewis Travis or the deserved recipient of that award, Cornelius Evans. So we had to pick a home player. So the gruelling task of reluctantly going through the motions fell to a gutted Joe Allen. He's probably our favourite Stoke player, though that's particularly for his international performances for his national team as the Welsh Xavi, less so for Stoke. Then, the next Saturday, on the train home from our win over Derby County, three lads from Finland got on my horrible Northern Rail train home towards Manchester Piccadilly. They'd been to see Everton versus Chelsea and were then, they thought, heading for Norwich for a game the next day to see the Canaries' Finnish striker, Tima Puki. Probably the best player we saw last season. Now clearly, they were on the wrong train, having been as confused as I am often am by Platform 13 at Manchester Piccadilly Station. I really do hope they managed to get to Carrow Road eventually, but in that short space of a journey towards Stockport, we talked about so much, mainly Shefki Coochie, Stockport County and next year's European Championships, the first major tournament Finland have qualified for. You are so lucky, one of them said to us, while his mate shuffled anxiously through his train line app to find another route across our rail network towards Norwich. You are so lucky to have this football culture in your country. We have nothing like this. We have to come here. And it reminded me, we are so very, very lucky to have our overs, but also to have our football.
So there we go, that's another episode completed and thank you so much for listening. Thanks also to our contributors for all their hard work in sending in their pieces. It was lovely to hear from Bill in Canada once again and from Brian out in Iraq about the perils and the joys of following rovers from uh, a long, long way overseas. It's great also that we've got a, a new contributor in Mark sending in a piece for the first time. Thanks very much, Mark. It's much appreciated. Let's not forget our old friend Scott from 4000 Holes magazine, and if you haven't bought a copy yet, why not? His review of 2019 was terrific, and we hope to get more contributions from Scott in 2020. And of course, Michael, the Marple Leaf himself, with a wonderful travel log to end the episode. <music> Lastly, therefore, then, it just falls to me to wish everyone uh, a very happy new year. Let's hope that 2020 brings Rovers some terrific success on the field. Let's hope that Bradley Deck recovers from his injury quickly. All the best, Bradley. And last but by no means least, health and happiness to you all. Have a great 2020, everyone. And we'll see you on the other side. Special thanks, of course, to the guys in the Symmetry Band for all the music used in this and all of our episodes. 